Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. My name is Michael, and I'm here today with my regular co-host, Tom. Tom, say hello to everyone. Hello, everyone. Tom and I are here today for another faculty meeting, faculty meeting 150, I believe. This is another in our redo, redux, look back at the old episodes. Today, we're taking a look at Dungeon Talk episode 14, Here Come the Segments, but this is also going to be sort of a year-in-review episode as well. Yeah, a little hodgepodge. We're going to mix it up a little bit. Yeah, that's right. Uh, But before we get too far into things, we always like to take a minute, take a step back, and talk about why we are here. The goal with these faculty meeting episodes is that Tom and I are about to have a conversation, and we hope that in some point of this conversation about role-playing games, that there will be something, some little nugget of wisdom that you, the listener, can pull out and apply at your table for your games and make them more fun for you and for your friends. But we understand that the opinions we share and the advice we give may not work at every table every time, but there is one piece of advice that we feel is pretty universal. And Tom, what is that one piece of advice? If you're having fun, you're doing it right. That is correct, sir. So no matter what game you're playing, which system or edition, what rules you use, don't use, or misuse, as long as you and your friends at the table are having a good time, you're doing it right. So with that out of the way, let's start with our RPG news. What do you have for me, Tom? Okay, so we haven't done a faculty meeting in a little bit just because holidays and whatnot. So we're going back to the beginning of December when the Avatar RPG posted a Kickstarter update saying that they're delayed. So typically, I wouldn't say that a Kickstarter being delayed is news, okay? But the reason I want to bring this up is because the Avatar RPG is the biggest tabletop RPG Kickstarter ever. They made $9.5 million earlier this year. And for all intents and purposes, what this is, is this is a kitbash game of Powered by the Apocalypse using the Avatar veneer on top all right so the a few things that make this interesting is that magpie games has a historically bad track record of getting kickstarters out on time all right the root rpg is over a year late so far and still has not delivered all right the other thing is i typically don't like to point out when kickstarters are delayed because it happens to all of them all right but at this point i think people we need to recognize that magpie is no longer a small indie house rpg once you make 9.5 million dollars on a book i think this now opens yourself up to further criticism and i think that magpie needs to be prepared for that because they did even say that they were going to use some of their funding to hire additional people to make sure that they released on time and this was also what i the rumor mill says that this was actually part of their licensing agreement with nickelodeon or paramount whoever owns the avatar brand that they were supposed to release this on time like that was part of the big agreement so them slipping and they're only slipping a few months so i think i think this is going to be one to watch because i think a few things i think it's gonna really kind of give us a, a better idea of who magpie is as a publisher and then also the future of licensed games, because I think if some of these bigger licensing houses start to see like what what what's going on, none of these RPG companies can release a game on time. We're not going to license our games to them, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. So I think it's just going to be something to watch. And, you know, it, 
I don't have a particular history with Magpie. I don't have any positive or negative feelings toward them. I don't even really know what games they've released. Like I'm, I'm somewhat familiar. I think we did an interview with one of the designers for like a different project a while back. So I'm not like, so I'm kind yeah. of neutral, I guess. Mm-hmm. But I have to believe to to make this a Michael centric thing. So the goal is still sometime in 2022, my game action 12 cinema will go to crowdfunding. Don't know if it's going to be Kickstarter at this point because of all the hubbubaloo about Kickstarter and their crypto ways and all that kind of good stuff. But at some point in time, I'm hoping to bring my, my game to crowdfunding. And this is just completely Michael ballpark. And I haven't talked to Tracy. I'm going to guess that our goal is going to be like Mm $8,000, 10, maybe like that's kind of what I'm expecting it to be. If we end up making a million dollars on my Kickstarter, I'm going to lose my GD mind. Yep. And I mean, I'll be excited, but that is going to be such a just, I can, I want to have a bit of sympathy for someone who did more than they expected. And what does that mean for everything? Like, obviously everything has to ramp up and ideally it would ramp up proportionally. And so it wrote, at the end of the day, it's still the same book. It just has to be printed a heck more times. But again, I just think it was probably such a bigger number than they even expected that that might be a justified reason for the delay. Again, as you mentioned, they have a history of this, so sure. But again, I'm going to try to give them the benefit of the doubt that yeah. it's just the fact that they actually over-succeeded to the point that they're now maybe being even like more cautious. It's like, holy crap, we have so many people that have eyes on this now. I would rather wait a couple extra months and get it right than to rush it out the door and then get all this negative feedback because we've got spell check errors or something in it, you know? Yeah, so their their reasoning is because there's not enough paper. Okay, that's their reasoning. So one of the things that people have pointed out is that they did do this Kickstarter when we were having all the supply chain issues. So this this isn't like uh, they did the Kickstarter back in 2020 and now they're like, oh, we've got supply. They did it in the middle of the supply chain issues and didn't. I, I just think it, it'll be it'll that'll be the day when. Uh, board game and RPG Kickstarters finally realize that they should be less aggressive with their delivery dates. So mm-hmm. it's just, I don't know. It's, it's just odd. Cause I would be, I, I would be much more inclined uh, for companies to go ahead and proactively put the, give themselves more time instead of giving themselves these shorter periods. So I don't know. Yeah. It's just, it, it's an interesting thing to see. Um, and I just wanted to bring it up just because this is the biggest RPG on Kickstarter ever. So I think everybody's eyes are going to be on it. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, what else? The other thing is a Dark Souls RPG is coming. All right, Michael. Are Speaking you, of IP. Uh, I know, right? Are you familiar with Dark Souls? you have any... Do you like it? I've, anything? I've never played it. Okay. I know that it's supposed to be... It's supposed to be really, really hard and yep. easy to die. Die often. Uh, it's almost like that. Is it that movie, uh, Live, Die, Repeat? Yes. Where it's like you get so far, you die, and then you try to get to the same point, get like a little step further, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So Dark Souls RPG is coming. All right. It's going to be done by Steamforged Games. And like you said, Michael, Dark Souls is known for being brutally difficult. But one of the core things of Dark Souls is that it's also known to be absolutely rewarding. So I love Dark Souls. And one of the things with Dark Souls is, yes, it is super hard. But... It is not unbeatable. So if you actually put some time in and think about the different boss fights, more like puzzles, uh, you, you, you'll win and you'll conquer them. And it's, it's very rewarding. So the, a lot of people, there's a big 
a lot of people who play our tabletop RPGs have history with Dark Souls. Everybody's excited for this, but everybody's kind of scared a little bit because Steamforge is the company who's doing it, and they have done in the past only 5th edition products. So the last thing people want to see is they don't want to see a 5th edition clone of Dark Souls because, let's be honest, 5th edition is notoriously easy to not die. It's And that's kind of one of the attractive things to it. You have to play these real high fantasy, high adventure games, and it's not necessarily deadly. So I, I think... I'm I'm really hoping that uh, and they haven't announced anything, so I'm really hoping that they're going to be coming up with their own unique system. Because I think if they do, I think they're going to have a huge game. I think they're going to have a lot of people who play D and D who are going to be into this game, and I think you're going to have a lot of people who want to just see a Dark Souls RPG that's not five E. I think they're going to grab it too. So I'm excited for this, and I my fingers are crossed that when they announce something next year that it's not a 5th edition clone, and that we're getting a true new rule system that really fits Dark Souls. So, so well, the only thing I'll say, because again, I have, no, I have no connection to the to the IP, but I see this a lot, where there's a new game, either system, or sorry, like a new game property being developed, and that's like the first question, is, is it going to be a D&D based? Is it going to be a 5e clone? And there's like, a, it's like a 50-50 split. 50-50 are like, God help us, don't do 5e. We don't like 5e. 5e isn't every, every, good for everything. And the other half is like, but I know how to play 5e, so this is just reflavoring, you know, to the type of game that I might like. So, you know, it's, it's like you can't really please, you know, everybody type of situation. But as someone who has developed my own game system over the last couple of years, which, which is a very sim- simple, like by design uh, and necessity because I'm dumb, simple system, is there just a point where it's like, why would you go to the trouble of, re- like, like, when are we going to be done recreating a game system? Because at the end of the day, you're going to be rolling dice to determine if you succeed or not. How many different flavors are there of really making that where you're not just doing it to not do not do the same thing. It's like, oh, well, we're going to use D12s instead of D6s. Okay, great. We're going to use D37s. Okay, great. Like, is there a point where it doesn't make sense to try to create your own system? If you're, you're, you can't do this because another system does it. You can't do that because another system does it. So all you're doing is making this weird sort of like, okay, well, we're going to do it completely back asswards just so that we don't look like something else, but it really doesn't make it better. It just makes it different. Uh, okay. thoughts on that? I think I got um, a little bit of what you're saying here. I think really what it comes down to is what type of experience you're wanting to get at the table. And to me, if you want to get a Dark Souls experience, the 5th edition rules don't work for it. All right, So it's kind of like if you want to do a I'm trying to think of another game. Like, I feel like Dragon Age. I, I don't think Dragon Age has a RPG yet. But Dragon Age, yeah. It does. Oh, it does? Yeah, it came out before Fantasy Age. Fantasy okay. Age is built on the Dragon Age engine. Okay, well, all right. Well, then, there you go. I was going to say 5th edition would work great for Dragon Age. But it's kind of like, because it's more of, it's high fantasy. It's so it's, To me, it's all about the experience you're trying to yeah. get. So, yeah. I, I, so, I guess here's my, my ultimate argument is... If you take the amount of time I'm expecting it would take for a group of designers to create a brand new system, but at the end of the day, that system is going to have 
numbers that represent things like skills and attributes, and you're going to roll a D number, and that number is going to be modified in some way based off of your skill or attributes. And if you get a certain number or higher, it's good. If you get a certain number and lower, it's bad. Maybe you take the same amount of time and you take 5e, which already exists, already works, and you modify it. So yes, it's it's based off of 5e, but it feels differently because we've done, we've basically built an entirely new skin for it rather than just saying, oh, it's, it's D&D, but we're going to stick on a fighter. We're going to call it a soul monger. And like, that's all you're doing. You're like, you're reskinning it. But if you actually rebuilt it, but you use those same parts, could you not? get just as an effective version of your game based on a system that people already know that it's D20s, high numbers are better, you have strength to, you know, dexterity. I just, I feel like there's a way to actually use 5e as a chassis, Mm. but still put a brand new uh, body on it. I I don't know cars, so I'm probably screwing up this metaphor. And it'd be just as, if not more effective than actually going, okay, we're going to build our own system, but it's still going to have numbers and you're going to roll some dice and you're going to modify the dice based on those numbers. And those numbers are going to mean like, I just, I feel like there's a point where it's not really better. It's just different for the sake of being different. Yeah. I see what you, I see what you're saying. I think that, uh, I think this is a huge conversation. I think that there, you may be oversimplifying. The oh, I'm sure I am. Core mechanics of fifth edition a little bit, which is okay for this for this intents and purposes. But yeah, I think, I think that's a good thing to say. And I think that if you are going to use fifth edition for your game, I, and you want to get evoke a different feeling, I do think that you really do need to change it down to its core and not be a, not just be a skin. I think there's fundamental things you have to change, but then that whole gets down to the whole thing of, is it still even D and D anymore? This is that whole, the, what's the what's the what's the was it the ship of thesis or whatever yes yeah so it's like when does it stop being fifth edition so i i I don't know i think that we're at the end of the i think we're at the end this is my personal opinion i think we're at the end of what we can do with fifth edition it's been out for a while so um see again not to keep draining this out but i would also i would say things like to take it to like the video game world right you have these brand new systems that come out, like the PS5, the Xbox One, or whatever whatever is now. And they are fundamentally improvements on the previous generation's consoles. But what you find is usually at the end of that game system's life cycle is when you will have some of the best games that come out because the designers now know those those systems so well, they can actually get more out of them. So maybe 5th edition's life cycle being as long as it is, is the, is it's now ripe for a company to come in and say, you know what, I'm going to rebuild 5e to my version, but I know 5e so well, I know what it does well, and I know what it doesn't do well, that it's not going to be 5e. But if you know how to play 5e, you will know how to play my game, and it will be a fundamentally better and different experience. I think there's something to that. Yeah, no, I agree. I totally agree. Just please don't do it with Dark Souls. All right, so, all right. Um, anyway, Fair enough. So let's move on to, uh, Michael, do you got any Action 12 cinema updates for us? Nothing sexy today. Okay. Uh, Tracy, again, still waiting on Tracy to, to look at the latest revision. Uh, they told me it probably would be the new year, so I'm, I'm just, you know, waiting on that. I have two different groups who are 
going to, have done, supposed to be doing soon, play test without me in their home group. Uh, I don't, I haven't heard back from them yet, so I don't know if they've had it and it maybe went so poorly they're afraid to tell me or they just haven't got around to it because again, it is the holidays. So basically I'm still in the wait and see mode for that. That's cool. Um, and then uh, Catacon updates, we still just coasting right now? Yeah, still coasting. No, nothing new. Uh, we have a tentative agreement to be back at the DCC next year. Uh, we are, you know, the dates that we set, I think third, fourth, and fifth. Don't quote me, but I think those are the dates. Uh, those are our tentative dates. We do have that other convention center in Lima who I'm still waiting to get their quote. They haven't got back to me yet. If it is substantially better than the DCC, then it will obviously become a contender that we will have to do some further investigations. But as of right now, I still expect to be back in Dayton in November. Uh, the, one of the big questions will be, how are we going to do our initial fundraising? Because again, Kickstarter, there's a lot of hubbub with it right now that we're trying to figure out. In fact, I'm going to be doing an interview soon with someone to talk about all those things because I myself don't fully understand them well enough to really have a strong opinion other than there's a bunch of people I respect who have strong opinions about it. And I kind of like, well, maybe they know more than I do because probably. Uh, so there's a chance that we will do Kickstarter. There's a chance that we will do a different crowdfunding platform. There's a chance we may just skip that and go straight to tabletop events and just send out all the Kickstarter people who've already done Kickstarter and who are now on the mailing list say, hey, just go buy your badge. But if we don't get this much raised by this date, then we will have to cancel and refund. So it won't have the sort of the pomp and circumstance that a Kickstarter campaign has where it's like, okay, we have 30 days to raise X dollars. Because with Tabletop, we have the, the whole year. Like I could start selling badges today for next year's Tabletop or next year's event and just continually collect money. But if I don't have a certain amount of money by a certain time, then it becomes financially risky for me to continue because if we don't get the rest of it, I'm in trouble. So we could do that arbitrarily. Like we could just say, hey, we're going to do a 30-day badge sale. We have to have $10,000 sold by the end of this month or we can't go forward. We kind of do it ourselves and see if we have enough people who are returning that they're willing to do that. We may not need to go to Kickstarter because honestly, yeah, we lose more in Kickstarter uh, because they take their 10% off the top than we would if we just went through tabletop events. But we also have a lot of people who do just donate. Like we have, you know, hundreds of dollars every every time. They're just like, here's $12, here's $50. Just, yep. you know, thanks. I don't know that we would get that through, through that. So again, it's just sort of a balancing act. I don't know yet. Wait and see. So that's, I, you can cut everything I said out and just say, yep, we're in wait and see coasting mode. Nice. So yeah, also, um, yeah, I'm glad. I'm really looking forward to that upcoming interview that you're going to be doing about Kickstarter. Me too. It's going to be cool. Because I need to be educated. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, no. So that's that's all the updates there. So I, what I wanted to do was, because this is the, we're recording this at the end of December 2021. So before we jump into 2022, I want to talk about, let's just talk about this past year. Uh, it doesn't need to be like crazy long, but just kind of a, a year in a review as far as RPGs go and then what we're looking forward to in 2022. Yes, Actually, we'll start with you because again, I've, I've, okay. the last two sections have been heavily mined. So, okay. talk about your year, Tom. Yeah, so 2021 was a good year because this was the year that after 2020 being terrible and destroying my regular <sighs> home group, uh, we finally got back together in 2021. I think back in March or April, after we'd all been vax, we've all been vax. We kind of my group, we kind of together, we said, "Hey guys." 
what's everyone feel comfortable with? When what do we see? When do we see us all getting back together? And thankfully, we were all on the same page. We're all like, hey, once we're all vaxxed, we're yeah, let's all get together. No masks at that point. We'll be back to normal then. And so that's what we've done. And we've been playing every other Wednesday since then. So it's been awesome to do that, to be with people and just to have some sense of normality. So it's definitely not 100% the same because we lost some players, uh, gained some different players, and things are kind of in limbo. But you know what? Um, it, it was good to be back at the table again. So the other thing that I didn't write down that I also wanted to say is that um, this year was also uh, – it was cool to, and I, I may be stealing your thunder, Michael. I don't know. It was good to get back to a catacon. All right. This was one of those things where it was like, I didn't have any expectations for it. So, but it was just good for it to be there again. So I think that those kind of, that sums up my 2021. It was just good to play games with people again. So. Yeah, I, I would say it's still in my thunder, but definitely a catacon is probably the biggest thing for me in 2021. You know, I moved again, I think at this point, going on two and a half years, I think everyone's probably aware of that by now. So I don't have a local game group anymore. And the Zoom thing has also been very hit and miss for me. I I have not had a regular game that I've been running for quite a while. I I am running a 13th Age streaming game, but our scheduling has been very hit or miss. So even that has been pretty irregular. I haven't been playing a lot with the boys. Uh, we've been playing more board games recently yeah. just because it's it's a little bit lesser um, investment. Like we can just grab it off the shelf and play it 20, 30 minutes and we're done. I don't have to worry about trying to come up with a story, you know, that kind of thing. So even there's been a few times where they've wanted to play role-playing games and I've kind of steered them more towards a board game just because trying to keep my bandwidth alive. Uh, but I agree. I really missed going to Gen Con in 2020. I mean, I didn't even know how much I missed it until we got to have a catacon. And again, it was great. Like, again, financially, it was pretty bad. It wasn't terrible, but it wasn't great. But just getting together and hanging out with people, it was so much fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, just Again, it was spiritually reinvigorating for me. Like I do thrive off of that energy. So I had so much fun. I'm definitely looking forward to doing it again next year. But I really, I hope I can go to Gen Con in 2022. I hope I get to go to a couple other local gaming conventions I get to go to. I'm really looking forward to the faculty retreat. Again, we've got that schedule. We just sent out the invites. Uh, so if you're a, a VIP backer from the previous two Acaticons, or if you're a patron, because there probably will be spots left. We're going to be meeting in Michigan in March. And again, it is it is easily my favorite gaming weekend of the year, more than Gen Con, even more than Catacon, because it's like stress-free Catacon for me. It's a lot of the same yeah. people that I love yeah. to see, but I have almost zero financial responsibility. I usually cover the hotel for the faculty that, that ride and stay with me, and they still throw a few bucks my way, so I don't cover 100% of it even, even anyways. And there's just, there's no... There's no schedule. There's no agenda. We just get into a room. We play games until we're hungry. Then we eat. And then we play more games until we're hungry again. And until we're sleepy, then we sleep. It's kind of perfect. And right now, that is top of my list of what I'm looking forward to most. So uh, into, into March, looking forward to that. Uh, so looking – so I guess I already – I sort of cheated. No, I, no. So for 2022, Gen Con, Faculty Retreat, and the Catacon. What are you looking forward to in 2022? 2022, so I'm actually, I'm looking forward to a game. So I'm looking forward to the One Ring RPG, all right? Because I feel like Lord of the Rings was the first fantasy 
like big fantasy books that I have I ever read. I think that that a lot of people share that. And so I'm excited to actually play in Middle Earth. You know, I typically don't like traditional fantasy games. I just kind of avoid them. Um, but I'm really looking forward to just playing more of like a traditional fantasy game. So I'm really looking forward to that. I'm also really so Ghost of Saltmarsh has we only have one more session left. All right. So this has been our campaign that we've run since 2020. We are like we've done like 40 sessions of this campaign and it's coming to an end. And we're still we're just trying to figure out what we want to do next. All right. So we're going to take a little bit of a break from RPGs where we're still going to probably do some video game streaming, all of us together, because we have a lot of fun when we do that. A little bit more interaction with our audience then. But then we're just trying to talk about what we want to do after that, because we still want to play games. So it's kind of like we're still going to play RPGs. So we may have a rotating GM then where I may run a game one week and then Jake may run a game. So just trying some different things, maybe do some shorter campaigns, not do a big long form, do like a three or four session thing, more easily digestible stuff. So we're we're still we we're still trying to figure that out. We're not trying to stress out about it right now though. We're trying we're gonna finish out Salt Marsh and then we're gonna do like a we're gonna do all right, all right, hey, I'm gonna break the news here. All right. So you know session zero? Yeah. All right. So we ding. came all right, ding, we came up with something that we think is pretty clever. So I'm gonna say trademark right now. So in five years when everybody's talking about this, know that we came up with it first. Session Z's. All right. So, you know, at the end of your campaign, because zero starts with Z, but and then Z is the last letter of the alphabet. So you do a session Z. So after you finish your campaign, you do a session Z where you guys it can have like a debrief. You can talk about how you felt about the game, what went wrong, which how you wish it would have went. Um, talk about, hey, I wish this storyline, we could have explored this a little bit more, talk about some highlights, kind of like a debrief. And we're like, this way, the campaign just doesn't end. Because I feel like now we just ha- we got another thing to just kind of talk about it. And that way we mm-hmm. remember it more. So we're going to do one of those. Session Z's. TM, TM, TM. Okay. I like the idea. I think the name could be workshopped. Okay. Uh, okay. All right. I'm always open to workshopping. But yeah, that's what I'm looking forward to in 2022. Fantastic. All right. Well, um, I think we're ready to move on now. Oh, actually, well, one more thing. As I'll mention it here, our Patreon, we we have actually put some time, effort, and energy into trying to make that a little bit better going forward. We've got several things that we are working on, including a monthly book club, a monthly watch-along, some sort of movie or TV show we're going to do together. Uh, we've got some patron-exclusive podcast stuff we're going to be doing. Tom is doing Magic Shop Class. We're going to be doing an extra credit uh, session every time we get together here. Um, So I'm really looking forward to kind of getting that going and having some purpose and plan behind what we're doing and not just always being reactionary and just sort of like trying to throw stuff together last minute. Um, So once again, if you were listening, you're not already one of our patrons, please consider it. It really would be great if we could get a few more people involved and get that kind of rolling and get to the point where we can uh, really start doing some cool and interesting stuff. Um, so as always, thank you to everyone who is a part of our Patreon. It truly means a lot. I was, I was looking at things a couple days ago because we're getting basically January 1st is when I'm going to do the revamp. There are some people who've been our patrons for a very long time and looking at the total amount of money that they have donated since they started. Wow. 
Um, so thank you. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's a lot. Yeah, no, it's cool to see people support little little projects like our own, you know. Yes. So with that out of the way, let's jump into the sort of the Redux Redo version. So again, okay. we're taking a look at Dungeon Talk 14. Here come the segments. As always, Tom does all the heavy lifting on these episodes. He went back and he re-listened to that episode, and he pulls out things that he thinks were interesting uh, about what we said then. Maybe he has some questions to pose to me to see if things have changed or evolved or just add his own thoughts on top. So Tom, what was Dungeon Talk 14 all about? All right, so this episode, it's uh, some... Uh, some context here. So I went to listen to episode 12 and I mm. started listening to it and I was like, I can't listen to this. Your all's audio was so bad. Um, Rob, you all. <laughs> so Rob was supposed to be on the episode and you couldn't get his, his audio to work. So instead you had him call in on his phone and it was on speakerphone and you held his speakerphone up to the mic. And it was just like, it was, I was like, man, this these these were some different days. Early days. <laughs> Early days. So and then I went to go look for Dungeon Talk 13, and there wasn't a 13. There was like a bonus episode, but it wasn't called 13. It was only like five minutes long. So I'm guessing that's what 13 was. But it was really just you and one of your and Evan's tangents that you just kind of recorded. So mm. um I jumped to episode 14, and I'm glad I did, because this is when things were starting to shape up. For at this time, the D and D Academy. All right, you all decided that you needed segments. All right, this segments. this was huge. You all were finally you all finally felt organized, and it felt like a cohesive episode. It was great. All right, so you started off with a table topic. All right, this was kind uh, of the that's such a great name, table topic. It really yeah. is. So, and this was the first segment. This was kind of going to be what Dungeon Talk was in the previous episodes. It was kind of like you guys had a problem that you had in one of your previous sessions or Evan wanted to ask you for some advice or how you would do this differently. And so this was a cool topic that he brought up. So you all had been playing a, a game that Evan was running it, this session. And there was a ghost. All right. And Ooh, yeah, and that's what Evan wanted. Evan was really hoping for it to be a very spooky scene. All right. And then, but he introduced this ghost and he was trying to be a very scary. And he says, he says that for your characters, he, as a dungeon master, he tells you, your characters are scared. All right. And you guys didn't go with this at all. And right away, you attacked the ghost. Somebody threw a knife at it and it just ended like, not how he wanted it to be. And he the tone was way off, all right? And it threw him off the whole session. Mm. So um, what I wanted to ask you then is, how do you initially, because I'm guessing Evan just telling you all, your characters are scared. That's not a good way to set the tone, all right, for the game. So how would you have done this differently? How would how do you set the tone of a session then? Yeah, it's interesting. It's also very um, it's, it's interesting. It's also very topical because just last within the last couple of days, there's been some Twitter discussion about can you have a horror session in D and D because D and D does a lot of things well as as I you know I state and I agree, but it doesn't do everything well, which I also agree and. There's some people who are way smarter than me. They're talking about that, that to truly have a horror type of story, you have to have a lack of power. 
Because that's where the fundamental fear comes from as a person in a horror story or in a movie or a book or you're reading. It's that you are a normal person dealing with an extraordinary situation like a ghost, a poltergeist, a vampire, a werewolf. And you have very little power in that relationship because what can you do to a ghost? You know, you know, in some versions of stories, like if you find the body and burn the ashes and salt them like in Supernatural, whatever. But in most true horror stories, it's the fact that your only job is to try to survive. And whether you will or not is what basically the outcome of the story. D&D does not model that very well, certainly not as a base structure of the game, because you can always do something. It may not work as well as you hope, but it's very rare for you not to be able to do anything. I, didn't, I don't remember that session specifically, but one of us threw a knife at the ghost. I don't know, did we roll to hit? Did it do half damage? Like, that would be my first question is, because I don't think it's that, if you put, you know, if, you put my, if I put myself in the mind of an adventurer in a D&D type of game, where I have these powers and abilities, and I know someone who can transform into a dog because they're a druid. I have someone else I know that will eventually be able to cast fireballs. If I'm going through a spooky sort of situation, and there's something that jumps out like a shadow that flits from side to side, I don't think throwing a dagger at it is a terrible response. I think it's sort of almost like a normal response, but it's what happens next, I think, that really will help set the tone. Again, don't let me roll an attack roll. Yeah. Just state that it goes through it without any sort of effect. Okay, well, you've just told me, the player, I don't get to roll attack rolls against this thing, at least not with normal weapons. Like maybe maybe there's a magical component. But but if but if you let me roll an attack roll, you've said in my mind, oh, it's like the predator thing. If it bleeds, we can kill it. If I can roll an attack roll, I can kill it, maybe. So I think that probably would have been the first step is not get, you know, and I don't, I don't remember specifically, I don't know if Evan got upset, but don't get upset if I roll a, an attack roll against a monster you want me to be afraid of. How you respond to that is what's going to set fear in my mind. Yeah, I think it's okay to, for this, this ghost encounter, I think it would be okay if in this game, if at the end of the session, it wound up ending with a combat encounter. But I think with this, what happened for some context here is, as soon as Evan shows the ghost, one of your play, one of the players in the game, you're playing fourth edition. I too, I think he knows exactly what ghosts, what hurts ghosts, and so he does that, and then he tells all of you, "Oh, this is how we kill this thing," and you all got really excited about that. Um, and Evan, not being as experienced at the time, didn't kind of think that, like, "Oh, I can just have this be a non thing and a non encounter," like you were saying, like the ghost. Evan was just like, "Oh." Nope, this is a ghost. This it's hits now the, an This is a ghost. You all attacked it. it. We're now in an encounter. So what I like to do, so I think this question always comes up. We say set tone, but it always comes up with scary games. Like that's, that's kind of where people have this problem. For me, when I do these scary games, when I first introduce the monsters, I don't like I don't I don't let the players attack them. I let the monster run away or they flee or something happens, like the knife goes through the ghost. But I'm not gonna just I'm going to let the players eventually get to fight it. But what I'm doing by not letting them do it right away is I'm building up tension. Because I think that, yes, taking away their power is step one. But then what you need to do is you need to then build up tension. There needs to be stakes. There needs to be something that is actually making the players and the characters question what they're doing and what they should do next. So, um, yeah, for Tone, it's very... It's very, it's very key that you 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 get it right 
at the beginning. So it was going to be, it's very hard. It would have been very hard for Evan to get this back. All right. Because you all were instantly in the mindset of we're going to fight this thing. And then Evan was letting you all fight this thing. So now it's kind of shifted from a scary game to now you brought, you mentioned this, that it turned from what Evan wanted, which was like poltergeist to very much. You guys turned it into a ghostbusters session. So, right. and I'm like, this, this sounds like something Michael would do. And so a hundred percent. And, and I, I am not a fan of telling someone your character is afraid. Yeah. I, I kind of feel like that breaks the, the relationship, the contract between the DM and the players. I do think it's okay to remind players and say, yes, you're an adventurer, but your character has never faced a ghost before. Or because of this situation, it wouldn't be unusual for your character to have some apprehension or maybe you know some feelings of fright would not be unwarranted. So I, I know that it's probably a fine differentiation, but it, I, I would never tell a player, you're scared here, but I don't have a problem saying, you might be afraid in the situation. So when you're thinking about how you're going to respond... It, think about would your character be afraid here? And if so, you know, that's okay because that's kind of what we're going for. I think that's probably the biggest thing. I'm just a lot more above board and just having those meta conversations of, yep. you know, this is a spooky situation. You probably might be feeling a little bit of apprehension. So why don't we role play that? And if the player's like, ah, you know, I actually don't want to do that. Okay. That's, you know, like I'm not going to force anything, but I'm okay with those meta conversations reminding people because because I used to do the same thing Evan was trying to do is I'm trying to create an organic, true, frightening experience because that's what I want my players to feel. I want them to feel fright. It's like going to a scary movie. I want them to feel that. But as we said, D&D just does not do that well. Fourth edition maybe do it worse than any of yeah. the editions. Um so it's almost impossible to get there. And you know, we've talked about this in previous things as well that it's almost impossible to do a gotcha scare in D&D. Like, that's, it just does not really yep. work. So you can better model an apprehension rather than going, oh, it's a ghost. Be like, you know there's a ghost in this place. You know that you'd have no abilities to affect this ghost. You have no powers, you have no magic items. If you run into this ghost, you will be at its mercy. Now go explore this, go explore this, this haunted mansion. So yeah. then it becomes, oh, we need to avoid the ghost. We don't want the ghost to know we're here. We don't want to piss the ghost off because that's that's now the win condition. It's not fighting the ghost. It's avoiding the ghost. So by letting people know there's a vampire in this castle and it will kill you, just straight up, I'll tell you right now, if you run into this vampire, it's probably going to kill you. So you need to avoid it. Set those stakes at the beginning. I'm, and I'm fine with doing it just, just like I did, just saying these are the stakes because then... It's like every time we go into a new room, like, do we see anything? Do we, do we hear anything? Like you, you'll start to kind of build in. We want to try to make sure we have all the information possible to make the right choice about what we do rather than, okay, you open the door. It's a vampire. Like, yeah. That's never going to be scary. Yeah. All good scary movies don't show the monster right away. So just tell, let them know that there's a monster. Let them know that there's something scary. But don't show it to them. Let them explore. Let them get scared themselves. So, and you can absolutely run scary games in D&D. And I've done it. I've ranked so much Curse of Strahd. I love Ravenloft. And I've done a ton of it. And it works really well. I think the, the key things are, if you're going to run scary D&D games, it's like it's like you were kind of saying, Michael, let them let, build, the, build the tension. Don't show them the monster right away in the haunted house. But let them know about it. Be very clear. But then also... 
be use a lot of very graphic imagery and descriptive words. I mean, that's where you can that's where you can really benefit in D and D is don't be afraid to uh, you talk about smells and the, the feel of things and really try to evoke stuff in your players. So, and I don't do a lot of this, but but if you're trying to do a scary game, that's the time to have the lights down low. That's yes. the time to try to have some background music because. If I'm going to go watch a scary movie, I am not going to do it on Sunday afternoon at 2 o'clock. Yep. This is not going to happen. I want to watch a scary movie on Saturday night at like 11, 11.30. So it ends at, you know, 1 or 2 in the morning. I'm kind of tired. and Now it's dark and maybe I hear sounds outside my window. So, you know, I think more than like the big epic fantasy, I think horror games are the ones that really benefit from setting the mood, lighting, when you're playing the game, having some mood music if you can, some scary soundtracks playing, or just like, you know, the wind sounds yeah. in the background. I think that kind of stuff can work. From a mechanical standpoint, and this is just me, you know, thinking out loud, so I'm not saying this is something I have done, but I feel like it would definitely change the 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 feel that I would get as a player is when we are interacting with the monster Rather than me attacking, have me roll defenses, but Ooh. I can still succeed on that, such as saving throws. Like I uh, can't attack the I can't attack the ghost. Like nothing I do will affect the ghost. But the ghost is going to try to attack me. Maybe it's trying to possess me. If it possesses me, it'll just have me harm myself. So then I'm rolling a saving throw to see whether or not I am harmed. And like maybe it's a it's a a spectrum. So if I succeed really well, I completely throw off the the, four, the ghost phantasm, I'm fine. If I get a certain number, is it takes over my body for one round and I, I do D8 damage against myself in some way. We can describe it, you know, however you want, bashing your head into the wall, stabbing yourself, whatever. But the fact that I'm rolling to protect myself, I feel like that would feel different at the table than oh. me rolling to attack, even though it essentially can serve the same purpose. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I never even thought about that doing doing like constitution saving throws and different things like that. Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, instead of like give doing lots of frighten checks for mm-hmm. your players. Yeah, no, no. I think there's. I think I absolutely agree. I think you can do it in D anD D, and I have done it. So I think you just gotta. You kind of have to. And I don't think it's like I don't think you have to do a whole lot of legwork to make it work. It's not like you're using the system for something it's not because there's lots of stuff that has been designed specifically for D anD D. Uh, to make scary games. So kind of thinking outside the box, though, and outside of D&D, though, because one of the things that a really easy way to set tone is to pick a very niche game that is made for a certain tone. So, Michael, do you have a... I think I may know the answer to this. Do you have a favorite game, then, for doing... Dread. Like, Dread, yeah. Dread, Dread. I, I think Dread, honestly, I think I got to pick Dread, too. All right, there's a lot of good ones, but Dread just does a, such a good job of, like, it tricks you into thinking you're scared because you're not scared of the game. You're scared that you're going to knock down the tower. Like, Yep. So it was, let's talk about briefly. You ran a dread game at a catacomb this last year. It was a Metroid, like not Metroid prime. It was like the new Metroid sort of a, was it? Yeah, it was Met- Dark? No Metroid dread. So it was a mix of Metroid prime. And then also the new Metroid dread game that had just, okay. And it went, so it went great. Yeah, tell us about it. So, because for me, Metroid is kind of a, People don't think about it, but it is science fiction horror. Like, that's what it is. You're kind of moving through dark, abandoned spaceships and abandoned planets. And there's ancient alien races and weird parasite creatures. And so I was, it it just worked really 
well. I use, obviously, I made it, I cranked it up to 11. I use like ambiance music and sounds and lights and everything. And Dread just, and then using the Dread rules in the tower, it just, it went really well. So I think it was, uh, it was a good way to run Metroid. So yeah, definitely both big fans of Dread. Uh, I'll throw this out to the audience. If you're listening, tell us about some of your experiences, good or bad. You know, as a player, did a DM set a really good tone? And how did they do that in a horror game? Or did you have a Ghostbusters versus Poltergeist situation in a game you played in? <laughs> Other side or, you know, just tell us good and bad stories of how your experience has gone. And then we can maybe share those in a future episode to help other people. Oh, man, I'm just thinking about this now. A Ghostbusters game would be so good in D&D. Because it's funny, it's a group. It's oh uh, yeah, that would be great. So anyway, my I, I will quickly pull like we did a Savage World Ghostbusters uh, one shot years ago. Uh, it was a ton of fun and uh, definitely worth the, if you're if you're into that maybe listen to it. I, I'll throw it in the show notes of this episode. It was a, it was a really fun game. Okay, next segment. You all jumped into email questions. All right, yeah, you all used to get. Do we get emails still? So here's the thing. We didn't get emails then either. We were trying to get emails, so we made up our own emails oh. to get things started, and then it never really caught on. Oh. We do we do get emails on occasion, and I usually will share them in uh, in Discord. Like if we get a com, like we no- mostly get comments. Like, hey, I listened to this episode, I liked it. We don't get a whole lot of questions, but we would love to. I'd love to do a mailbag episode, but we don't get enough questions to justify a mailbag episode. But if you send us questions, we will. So yeah, so please send us questions so we, have to, we can stop making up our own. We should, maybe we should do like, when we know we're going to do a faculty meeting, do like, hey, post on Twitter, like, hey, do you guys have any faculty meeting questions? But who knows? But yeah, so you, all right, so I don't know, but the fake question, if sounded genuine, it really I, did. I, I tried my best. You all did great. So the it was, do you have any game night food rituals? All right. So, Michael, do you have any game night food rituals now? And let's see if they align with what you used to have. So, I don't anymore because my entire diet situation is completely changed. But in previous year, like way later or way earlier, then, yeah, we would order, usually order like a pizza. We get some sodas, snacks, you know, Doritos and Mountain Dew, that kind of stuff. And we just play and eat for hours and hours and hours. As an adult, usually our process was people would come to my house and play and they would almost always bring food with them. Like one person would stop and get tacos, another person would stop and get a pizza, one get Chipotle. And we would spend like the first half hour BSing and shooting the crap and just catching up and we'd all eat. And then once we were done eating, we would play. Uh, And I know I mentioned it then and it's still my preferred drink of choice when it comes to gaming was what's called an Ale 8-1. And it's this really, it's like a sweet ginger ale. It's only made in one bottling plant in like Winchester, Kentucky. It's super small, super niche. I could every now and then get them in in Ohio. Certain Kroger's would carry them at certain times of year. I'm now in Kentucky. I can buy them wherever I want. Sometimes, <laughs> I, sometimes I go to a grocery or to a, a restaurant and they'll have a fountain. They'll have fountain L8 ones. Uh. They don't taste right to me anymore. Like, and that's one of the weirdest things. Again, just quick tangent about the surgery I had at the weight loss surgery is not only do I not eat as much as I did before, I don't want to eat as much as I did before. Certain foods just don't taste right to me anymore. And this isn't a COVID thing. This isn't like lost taste. Just, I mean, for two years now, the certain foods that I used to love when I eat them now, they taste different. I have no idea what the psychology of that is or the physiology, what it was. But L8s are one of those things where I just had one for Christmas. On Christmas Day, I bought a six-pack. I put one in, did my whole thing where I kept it cold for 
couple days and then froze it for 20 minutes. And it was good, but it wasn't what it you? wasn't the memory that I have. Um, so, yeah, so th- I don't now because I just can't. But what about you and your group? Now that you're back together, do you do any food stuff? Yeah, so we that do. Sounds dirty. I don't mean dirty food stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, like I, food I, rituals. Yeah, okay. Other than my our food stuff, we do – all right, so – we are big craft beer drinkers and we mm. do like weird stuff. So me, we do like, it's, it's very, very, uh, we're sharing like bottle aged beers that we will buy and then we'll age them for a year or two. Like, and then, uh, lots of fruit beers and we just, it's like a communal thing where we all share like all this beer that's, we spent way too much money on. And I found it sounds funny saying this because it was in this episode, Evan's like, Evan talks about like, oh yeah, he likes to maybe have a couple beers, but he's like, and that's, look, don't get me wrong. Like if you like cheap beer, I like my cheap beer too, but Evan's talking about like Milwaukee's best and everything. And then I'm over here with me and my buddies. We're like talking about my, our watermelon sour that was aged in gin barrels for three years kind of thing. So, um, but no, so that is, that's one of the things we really enjoy doing. A lot of us travel for work, so we're always getting stuff from other all over the country and bringing it and sharing it with each other. But then the other food ritual that we do is that my wife loves to bake a ton. And so she bakes to take stuff to different events or to give stuff to other people or for family gatherings. But my game group, we're like her taste. We're like the 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 test group. So she'll like make a new thing or try a new technique. And where it may not look as great, but she knows that me and all my buddies, we will eat it regardless. So we always have uh, really weird craft beer and then my wife's test desserts. So like it's like tried and true. That's what we do. And then on streaming, though, for streaming, I also have a little bit of food ritual where I will always drink a cup of tea, like right when we're getting started. So I love tea, hot tea. And so a hot herbal tea. So, uh, uh, yes. So I always do that too. So, yeah. So Tom likes craft beer, food stuff, and will always eat it. I think we've learned a lot about yeah, that. Yeah, I, I think so. So I'll leave that there. And that's kind of, then you all went into another segment about D&D Next, which I am obligated to skip. All right. Hmm. So, fair enough. Fair enough. Because Again, the, we're trying to look back on things, but we talk about 5e enough. We don't really have to talk about yeah, that. Yeah. Other than there are a couple things in the next playtest that it still bothers me that they dropped. There were some really innovative things that they did in those playtests that I was like so excited for. And they just went with the, no, let's just do it like we how that we used to do it with a little twist. So hmm. as much as I like 5e, there were, there were some things left on the cutting room floor that would have made the game better in my opinion anyways carry on yeah no no um that's that was that was it for all the segments yeah you basically had three segments well, well you want to talk about the rituals what rituals tom has a bunch of rituals to talk about oh i was my food rituals that oh, was my no i thought you meant okay because i was going to mention one other ritual that i have when it comes to D because i still do this and i don't know if i mentioned it there or here but i roll two d20s whenever i roll like i have one that's designated uh either by color uh, or I'll make a choice like each night. Like I used to have a blue and red one and red was always for attacks and blue was always for basically anything other than attacks. Now I have a green and a blue one. Hold on. You roll two D twenties. Yeah. So anytime I'm rolling dice, like if I'm on attack, I will roll two D twenties, but I will, be, I know ahead of time and I will announce it to anyone. So it's not like I'm picking and choosing like, okay, this one green's for attack this time, but I I like 
to roll multiple dice. I think just rolling a single d20 just feels weird to me. So there's, again, something about that weird heft thing that I love to roll two dice together. Yeah. Uh, but I don't like rolling damage in attack. I think that's weird. People who do that, you're weird. Oh, So I'll so yeah. roll two d20s at any time and then just, you know, again, it's, it's predetermined. I'm not looking at them and going, oh, I'll take the blue one this time. Um, but I'll roll them together whenever I roll any sort of check or anything in D&D. As I do that as the DM or as a player. That is very weird. I will say this too. The first time I saw somebody roll their attack and their damage together, I was very confused. I was I just started playing D and D, and I was like, "Hold on, what are you doing? This is not how I know how to play this game. Have I been playing yeah. it wrong?" And I was like, "Well, why do you do?" And then yeah, then they gave me some. It was I was playing with a bunch of grognards, and they gave me some really weird, pretentious answer about why I should do it. Well, usually what I've heard is that it's faster, so that it speeds the turn up, so that when you when, it, when the DM gets to you, you can say, oh, "I got a seventeen to hit, and I did nine damage, nine necrotic, or whatever the case may be," because it just speeds the turn up, turn up, which is sure fine. But for me, I don't want to roll a terrible attack roll and then see an eight on the D eight or a twelve on the D twelve. That's just going to make me sad. So I don't want to be doubly sad when I miss. So I want that, oh, I hit, let me roll damage, then be sad. I don't know why, but it feels different to me. Yeah, no, and that was it. All right, so then, final thoughts. Anything about this episode as a whole you want to circle back to? Anything in general before we wrap up? No, I think that this episode is kind of like, this is it. Like, I feel like it took 14 episodes. I feel like now is the time where this is really feeling like, like you all understand what you're doing. So I'm sure that as they keep on going, we're going to, they just can't keep on getting stronger. So mm, probably not. But we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. I, I'm still, I still appreciate that. Uh, Tom, thank you so much for joining me. Man. I hope you had a wonderful Christmas. Again, we're heading in just a couple days from the new year. I hope you and your family have a wonderful time, safe holiday. Um, and I just look forward to doing this more and more with you in the new year. Any teases for the magic shop? What's the, oh. what's the most, I know I've only sent two out, but what's the most recent one you've done? Oh, the most recent one I've, I'm going to be doing, doing a few more this week, but I, I just, I did the plus one, plus two, plus three ammunition. All right. Mm. All right. So this is funny. The first two, I was very much, I stayed within the bounds of the magic item. Once we get to the plus one, plus two, plus three, guys, I just went and created my own new item, and I think this is where this this segment is going to be going moving forward. So uh, if you didn't think that plus one ammunition was exciting, wait till you hear this. Fantastic. So, so the goal was that actually will come out New Year's Day, I believe, uh, that one. Um, so yeah, so starting New Year's Day, there's going to be a Patreon revamp. It's going to look somewhat different. I mean, it's not completely different, but it's going to look a little different. And from that point on, the patron-only bonus episodes will be only for the $5 and up tiers. We may on occasion do something. If we do a special episode, we might put it out to everybody. I probably will on occasion do that as well. But for the most part, if you're not a patron... You're missing out on some cool stuff uh, at any level, and then specifically if it's a $5 level. Uh, so social media plugs, Tom, where can people find you if they want to talk to you about about the book of Boba Fett? Because, <laughs> I mean, it's out starting today. I know you're hardcore into that. Your name is based off of Mandalorian Metal, so I know you've got some thoughts and opinions about that. Yeah, so you can follow me at BezcarTom on Twitter, all right? That's where you're going to find me uh, talking about stuff. Or, you know, join us on our Discord. Sounds Discord, Discord, Discord. Uh, as for me, you can find me at the RPG Academy. 
And uh, also Farm to Fable. If you're interested in Smallville at all, I'm having a ton of fun. We are getting ready to wrap up Season 3. We're going to do some new exciting stuff for Season 4. We're still planning on doing all 10 seasons. Uh, some fun stuff over there. And then we've got some interesting interviews lined up, hopefully for the new year. we got some more reviews that aren't D&D that we're working on for the new year. It's going to be an exciting 2022 for the RPG Academy, I believe. we got some new people who are doing some new stuff. Uh, you know, as has happened time and time again, people who are in my circle keep getting pulled in to become faculty members. That's how the faculty members continue <laughs> to grow and evolve. Uh, and that's really exciting. And I like doing that. So yep. uh, I think that's it for me. So with that, I'll just say, um, remember, if you're having fun. You're doing it right. Thanks. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize, but there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy, or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.